turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, everyone, again. How is everyone doing? Hopefully, you have a great time of worshiping and lifting up our hearts and minds and, and reminding uh, that God sent his son, Jesus, to us. And because of him, we have a firm, firm foundation, right? And we have a responsibility with that. We're going to continue in our series, Beginnings. We, we're in the, back in the book of Genesis. And uh, in our series, Beginnings, we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 1, days 4, 5, and 6, creation. Which we saw in those days how God filled the earth in which he had formed in days 1, 2, and 3, right? And how those days kind of corresponded together. We looked at that. And I mentioned last week that we're going to double back this week and look at two verses, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and ask the question, the important question, what is man worth? And, and also, what does it really mean to be made in the image of God? And to look at that this morning, on July 6, 2020, Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if you know him, he's the quarterback at Kansas City Chiefs, is a really good quarterback, uh, signed a new contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, an extension of his contract, 10 years, for $450 million. I mean, how could anyone live on anything less, right? We all need that amount, right, today. Yeah, but he lived that, a lot of that is guaranteed, and, and he's going to make that kind of money, about $45 million a year. And you say, what's, who's worth more, a quarterback or a running back? A quarterback or a receiver? A quarterback or a lineman? Who's worth more? So, so what are we worth when we think about that? What are we worth? You know, you can Google and find out that at the time of your death, if you want to, that some chemicals can be extracted from your body, and, and from those chemicals you can uh, get this amount of money for. So is that what we're worth? Is that actually what we're worth? Jesus spoke about this, and he says, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but he lost his soul? And so there is something about the soul that is more valuable than all the accumulations of the world, right? Uh, behaviorist B.F. Skinner, he summarized it very simply, and he says that man is an animal. Sigmund Freud raised it just a little bit, and he said that man is an undeveloped child. Plato said man is a featherless biped looking for meaning, and a biped is an animal that walks on two feet. And so what are we? We can look to what man says about us, but what is important? What does God say, right? And how does God value us? That's what's really important, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, which we're going to look at, to find out just how valuable that you and I are in the eyes of God. And as we know God, we're going to learn our value. So if you have your outlines, we are made to reflect and respond to our Creator. Uh, this passage this morning will give us reasons for that. And number one, we are to reflect God's character, His character. Let's look at verse, the beginning of verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let's stop there. What we have in this paradigm of each of these days, and I've talked about this, is simply as this. God said something, and when God said something, something happened. It, something was created, right? He created something when He said something. And God said, let there be light. And just like that, there was light, right? God created light. And the third, third, you have the evaluation of God, where God said, and this was good. And finally, you would have the declaration of God, where God would say, this was evening, there was morning, the first day. And you have that throughout the days. And then you get to day six, and it's kind of a break in that paradigm. You have where God said something. He created the land animals on day six. And you'd almost expect for God to say that it was good, and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. But you don't have that, right? Because there's more to come. There's more to come. God's going to give us more in the sixth day. 
And so on the surface, you would look and you would think when you looked at the days of creation, you would think, but man, the, the, the fourth day of creation has to be the pinnacle of God's creation because God created the sun and the moon and the stars on that, on that fourth day, and it has to be the pinnacle. And that, that sun is how many miles away from the earth? 93 million. People remember 93 million. I've been sharing that to give you some of those. 93 million miles away from the earth. But when you look at that sun, it is a blazing ball of fire. It blinds you. Sheila and I were driving home from DeKalb this week, and as we're driving, the sun, it was in the evening time, the sun was right there in our eyes, and I had my sunglasses on, good sunglasses, in the visor, and I still couldn't see. And I remember looking over and says, look at that sun. It's amazing. God created that sun. It's amazing. He had created that ball of fire, and God is brighter than that. And he created that. To look at that sun, it just blinds us. But God also, I don't know if you had time this week, to go out and look at the moon and the stars. How many of you had time to do that? That was one of the assignments I gave you this week. Come on, you, you got to do that. If you didn't do that, do that this week. Go out there and look at the, up the sky at night and look at the, the, the moon and the stars and just be amazed that our God made this. How great is our God that he made all these? He is awesome, isn't he? He's magnificent in what he's made. And to also think that God that made all this is a God who cares for us. He cares for each and every one of us, each individual. He cares for us. And the pinnacle of all creation was not when God made the sun and the moon and the stars on that fourth day, those 100 sextillion stars. The pinnacle of all of God's creation, what he did on the sixth day, at the latter part of the sixth day, when God said, let us make man. And that's the break of the paradigm. That's the break of the paradigm right there. He breaks it as well in terms of the person. When he goes from first person, where, where God did it, to the third person, where he says, let us make man in our image. Without even developing the doctrine, he lays it out for us. The doctrine of the Trinity. We have the first evidence of the doctrine of the Trinity right there. That we know that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit was there, right? And I've been giving you this. You know that, right? You could go back to Bible references and know that, right? Because you want to have that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that God the Father was there, creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 tells us the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. He was there. You get to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was there. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and he sustains all things. So all three persons of the Trinity that was there. So who was God the Father talking to? Who was he talking to? Some would say that he was talking to the angelic heavenly host, the angels. He was talking to them when he said, let us. But God is really conversing with himself. When God says, let us make man in our image, what he says. We are not made in the image of the heavenly host of angels. We are made in the image of God and likeness of God and what it's talking about. That's what it's saying here. We are made in the likeness of God. And the first thing I want you to see here this morning, we are made to reflect his image. That's what we're made to do, reflect the image of God. And you ask, how can we do that? We who are visible and, and reflect and represent he who is invisible. Because in John chapter 4, it says the Bible tells us that God is spirit, right? And we are to worship him in spirit and truth. And I want to make this comment. I just don't want to assume that you understand this. When it says that we're made in God's likeness and God's image, it's not talking about a physical form. God does not look like this. Does not look like man. Thank God he doesn't look like me, but he doesn't look like mankind, right? He doesn't look like us. God is spirit. And when Jesus came to this earth, he took on bodily form to be like us, to identify with us, so he could go to the cross and identify us on the cross. He had to become like us. 
He came, Jesus came, he's God, and he took on human form, he became the God-man. So he went to the cross, he could identify with God, represent God, and also represent mankind. But God is spirit, he's not a body. So it's not talking about we're made in God's likeness and physical form, it's not talking about that. We are here on earth and God says, you are now my representative here, and I, I stamped you, you're made in my image, and you represent me. How do we represent God? How do we do that here on this earth? With, we represent him in terms of his character, that we have God-like character. Theologians will divide the attributes of God into two broad categories. You've heard me talk about this before. The first broad category is the non-communicable attributes of God. You get tongue-tied saying that. The non-communicable attributes of God. Those are the attributes that God could not give away. He cannot give away. If God would give them away, then you would be God. You would be a God if God gave them away. And those are the attributes, for, for example, like his omnipresence. God cannot give his omnipresence away, away, that he's everywhere present. He cannot give that away to someone else. If he was, they'd be God. God cannot give away his omniscience away, that he knows all things. That's what the enemy, Satan, was trying to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden. That if you eat of this fruit, then you will be like God. You're going to know right and wrong and to know all things. God cannot give that away. Otherwise, you'd be God. God cannot give away his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. If he gave away his power, then you would be God, right? God cannot give those away. Those are non-communicable attributes of God. They're only for God. God has those and God alone. You follow me? You understand, right? Okay. What are the ones that God can give away? Those are called the communicable attributes of God. The communicable, these are things he can give away. Like today we have communicable diseases, right? You ever heard of communicable diseases? Diseases that we can spread, like COVID. So we understand that. Those are things that we can give away. And God has attributes that he can give away that he gives to us. There are attributes, his communicable attributes of God are things like love, justice, mercy, compassion, patience, kindness, goodness, all those kind of things. Those things that animals don't have, only we have because we're made in the image of God. They can't have those. By the way, here's what happened, so we kind of understand what happened. While we're made in the image of God, and God gave us those communicable attributes so that we can be his representative here on this earth, that's why he gave them to us. In theory, in theory, anybody who looks at us and would see how we behave ought to be able to see those attributes in us. They should be able to see the love, truth, justice, mercy. And they should be able to say, hey, I can tell that you're made in the image of God by the way you act, right? They should be able to say your, your nature, or your character should represent God. And they should be able to say, you're made in the image of God. I can see it in your life. But then the fall came and the entrance of sin came into the world. And what did, the, what did happen to the image of God? Was the image of God destroyed? Was it? No, it was not destroyed. The image of God was dramatically marred. How do we know that it wasn't destroyed? Because when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to get to that later on in the series, that's when sin came into the world, right? The fall came into the world. But when you get to Genesis chapter 9, that was after sin came into the world, after the fall, in Genesis chapter 9, it says this in verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. We still have the image of God in us. We still have his image. And you say, what, why is it a big deal if someone takes to someone else's life? Why are we so concerned about that? Verse 6 in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 gives us the reason. Because man is made in the image of God. Whenever, whenever somebody takes another person's life, they're destroying that image of God in that person. 
And that's a really, really, really big deal. God said, these lives are valuable. Why? Because they're made in my image. And every life on earth is valuable because it's made in the image of God. Dr. Francis Collins, a genesis and physicist, studied medicine. He was the director of the National Institute of Health. And he was assigned to the Genome Project, I remember many, many years ago, and it was to kind of find out and the mapping of DNA in human beings is what he was going to do. And scientists were gathered around the world to, to do this, but Dr. Francis Collins was the one to head up this program. It was in June of 2000 when President Clinton was in the East Room of the White House and Tony Blair was on satellite and many other dignitaries was online to see this, that Dr. Francis was there many, with many other scientists, and they had a huge press conference, and they had the map of the human DNA, the human embryo. This is the map for DNA. It was a, kind of a huge discovery that they had in the year 2000. And Francis Collins started out his career as an atheist, but he writes in his book, The Language of God, he says, of how through his education and sciences, he began to believe all that was taught him, he just took it, that everything they said. But he was troubled by some things. He says in his intellectual agreements he had with wrestling with, there were some things that he couldn't figure out, that is, he was being taught. And he's reading a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. You've probably heard of the book. Uh, Lewis talked about something in there that Francis Collins had encountered and observed that something relates to what could only be some type of moral law he saw. And what Francis Collins couldn't explain, that if man is the apex of all this evolutionary process, evolutionary journey, and if man came from monkey and apes, as he thought at that time, and it says, why is it that man universally seems across geography and culture that man could determine the difference between right and wrong? How is it that man is able to do that? Doesn't matter where they're living, doesn't matter where they're at, geography, culturally, it doesn't matter. It seems like they have, have this way to determine what is right and wrong. And those argue with C.S. Lewis, and he said, that's just a cultural thing. And C.S. Lewis fought back says, no, this is a universal thing. You don't find that in animals. You might find it in a dog once in a while. You never find it in a cat, right? But you might find it in a dog, something like that, but not all the time. And Francis Collins couldn't explain it. What C.S. Lewis would call the moral law. How is everyone has that across geography, across the world, and in, in, in all cultures what we find that they understand right from wrong? Doesn't mean they keep it. That had to come from somewhere is what he started thinking. Where did that come from? Just as the universe is not eternal, it had a beginning. It, all the great had a beginning. They just disagree how that beginning took place, right? And before, it, if it had a beginning, therefore it had to have a cause. And I talked to you about that last week. At, at least science would say adequate to the effect. And, and God is more than adequate to the effect that God brought everything into existence. And that's what we believe. But creation itself just shouts out. The, 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 the argument for the existence of God, when we look at creation, you got to realize there's a creator. We talked about that last week, too. you got to understand the rest. We looked at the draft and looked at the complexity of a draft. It, there's got to be a creator. None of this just came about to happen, right? Dr. Francis Collin came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was an atheist that turned to theist because he looked into it for himself. And he was determined that God is real and God created everything and accepted Christ as a savior. Now he's an apologist for the faith. And now he's a representative for God as you and I are representatives of God. We're to represent his nature wherever we go, right? We're to represent his character is what you and I are to do. Let me give you the second reason we were made to reflect and represent. We are to represent God's authority, his authority. The second part of verse six says this. 
And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. When you look at these words, we are made in his image. David writes in Psalm 8, and I talked about that some last week. He says, Lord, when I consider your heavens, what, are, what is it that you're mindful of me? What is it that you care about me? Why? Why would you do this? In other words, if you could take Google Map and you could do it in reverse, and you started with a man, a human being, and as that camera would go up and zoom up, and higher it went, sooner or later that man would disappear, right? And that camera continued to go up all the way to a transcendent God. All you would see is the earth is a little globe, is a little ball. That's all you would see, right? And as we look at that and we, we understand that the transcendent God, and we talked about that last week, that God is so far removed, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I insignificant? Do I have any meaning at all? Am I just a result of this evolutionary process that everybody's talking about? And there's no meaning. There's no need for right and wrong. There's no need for moral law. And I'm just here on this earth by chance to do whatever I want to do. And if God is way up there, why would he be concerned so much about me and this little ball called the earth when he has all the other universe out there? And what God is saying to you and I, what it says from the scriptures, and God wants us to hear this loud and clear. No, no, no. He's saying, you are very important to me because you are made in my image. The word image in the Hebrew word is called salem. And salem means representative. That's what God is saying. You are my representative. And so when a conquering army in ancient times would go into conquering land, the general would leave, uh, leave behind in the next country. He would leave something behind that would represent him, a salem. It would either be a, uh, an image of himself, a statue of himself, or he'd leave a person. So everybody in that country would know who, would, who that country belonged to and who was in control. It was his Salem. And what God is saying to you and I, that you are my Salem here on this earth. You and I are his Salem. And God goes on to answer the question of David in Psalm 8, where David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you care for him? He's asking this. And God says, David, let me tell you. And God uses royal language to respond to David. He says, David, I have crowned you with glory and honor. He says, I've made you ruler over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the creatures that move along the ground, over the beasts of the field, over all the flocks and all the herds, and over all that, over all creation. You are in charge of all of that, is what he's telling him, of everything of, those, of all that. And those words are very heavy for us when we look at that. And there's ramifications for us every day. That means the environment in which God has placed us, in which we live, he says, you are in charge of that. And he says, I want you to represent me as if, if I was here. And that's our representative. We're to live as if God was here. And he says, you're my representative. You're the ones to make the decision. You're in charge of it. You have it all. So people made in the image of God, emphatically those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that understand we're made in the image of God, you have environmental responsibilities. You may not like to hear that, but you do. It's not a political thing. It is a biblical thing that God gives to each and every one of us because you and I are made in the image of God. And we are his salim on the earth is what he's saying. And he says, you are rulers of all of, all of it. You have dominionship of over all of it. You're responsible. You are in charge of all of this. It's all up to you. You're my Salem to take care of it all. God has given it to us, everything. And so 
We have went to the one extent to the extremes. Some that went to the extreme to, to their environment, they neglected altogether. They didn't even pay attention. And then the other extreme is it's all about the environment, right? It's all about they focus on that and they abuse it and they bring it up every time they can. We have to have a balance. And I'm not here to talk about all that. I'm not here to say what we need to do. Some of it is kind of easy to determine, you know, what we should do and, and uh, not polluting water and not littering and, and all those kind of things, not abusing animals. Some of that's pretty easy to do. But some of it's pretty complex what we need to do. But we all need to do our part. But the fact of the matter, and I'm talking biblically, biblically what the Bible tells us, that is our responsibility in the environment in which we live. Whether you understand it or not. It's not politically. We all have a part in this because you and I are made in the image of God and we are God's slim, his representative here on this earth. And we have environmental responsibility. We have a responsibility for others around here. We do because God has given us that authority. Been given that authority by God, every one of us. The third reason he gives that we are made to reflect and represent, we are to represent our creator. And I kind of say that, but we're to represent our creator. And it's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It's the first poem that we really have in the Bible, right here in verse 27, where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We have three lines, four different stresses, and three times we have the emphasis he created repeated, and God created, and God created. And so what is a person worth it comes down to? What is a person actually worth? Well, well, God created them. He gave tremendous worth to every individual because every individual is made in the image of God, right? Amen? And I want you to understand that. If I could circle back around to the previous scenarios and ask the question, because I want to ask a couple of questions. What is a person worth? An infinite amount, because every person's made in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God. Here comes the other one. Who's worth more than another? Who's worth more than another? Nobody. Nobody is. But here's the thing. The challenge is our culture, our society, and the government are answering that question already. They're answering that. They're asking that question. They're talking about that question. What a person's worth. And who's worth more is what they're asking. And see, we have all kinds of wealthy people giving a lot of money to do all kinds of things. And some of those things are very good, they're doing. But Albert Einstein wrote this. A man shouldn't be measured by what he receives or accumulates, but what he contributes. So do we measure the value of a person by what they contribute? It's not a trick question, guys. Do we measure a person by what they contribute? No, not, not at all. Our values are the same. We're all worth a lot. No one's more valuable than the other. We're all worth a lot, right? That, that's what the Bible says. But our society that we live in would answer the question, how much is a person worth? And what they ask is, what person are you talking about? That's exactly how they answered. What person are you talking about when you talk about worth? You remember going through school, and I remember this when I, when I was a kid. They gave you those moral values, those educational scenarios and those case studies. Whether you realize it or not, a lot of the studies that they said they were doing, these little tests they gave you were case studies on you, especially when I was a kid, they did all kinds of things. And you remember the life raft? They said that you were going to be on a life raft and you want to board this ship. And there was kind of, they gave different numbers, but there was 18 of you on the ship. But the life raft only would hold 14 people. And so what you had to do you had to give an argument why you should be one of those 14 people that should be on that life raft. And the purpose for this, the whole purpose was so you could discover your self-image. 
And it did very well for the 14 that were going to be on the life raft, right? But it was terrible for the four that were not going to be on it. So our society is saying this. What's a person worth? They say, what person are you talking about? Because if you're talking about an unborn child, many people in our society would say there's no worth in that unborn child. There's no value at all. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. I read a while back that Iceland had almost wiped out the Down syndrome in their country, and I thought, man, that's great to hear. But when you kind of dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface, you find out that through early prenatal testing, uh, they could determine what they think, that if a child might have Down syndrome or if there's a chance the child had Down syndrome, they would abort 100% of those babies. That's what they did. That's what they're saying if a child that is this child that's made in the image of God is of lesser importance if it might have Down syndrome. It's lesser importance is what they're saying. That's what our society is saying. That's what they're picking up. So what life is more valuable? Life inside the womb or outside the womb? Which is more invaluable? If you're equal or the same, is that what you say? Then you're biblically right. They have the same value inside or outside the womb. We are made in the image of God and we have tremendous value because of that and that alone. That's why we have value. Not because we climb some corporate ladder, we have this amount of money or we have this title. The reason we have value and we have worth because we're made in the image of God. And you can't look at those who are elderly today and say, hey, they don't contribute that much anymore, and, and the cost of health care for them would be prohibitive, and what's the quality of life they're going to have? Not even talk about the sanctity of life. That's the discussion our government is having today, our society is having, whether you realize it or not. They're having that kind of discussion. But the Bible speaks loudly about those issues, that the sanctity of life for everybody is the same, because everyone, everybody is born in the image of God. They're made in the image of God. Everyone is, what the Bible is saying. And if a person is born in this world with some challenges, it doesn't make them less important. They're made in the image of God, and they have the same importance as everyone else, is what the Bible tells us. So therefore, as a congregation, we need to be meeting the needs of those born in the image of God. And who are they? Who's born in the image of God? Everybody. That's what it means. Everybody. So God loves people, and he wants us to love people, even those with a different political view. Even those that would challenge some of the things that I'm saying. Even those that have different backgrounds and different cultures. Racial discrimination cannot exist in a world which we understand that God created everyone in his image. There's no room for racial discrimination. And any race that would say we're better than another doesn't understand they're all made in the image of one God, God. So we're all the same. There's no difference. There's no difference for many of us because we're made in the image of God. Right? Amen? We all agree with that, right? We're all made in God's image. There's no difference. If every person you come into, in contact with, they're made in the image of God. And they're just as valuable and important to God as you, because you're made in the image of God. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Let me share a love story. First, how does man measure, how, 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 how does man measure his value? By Jesus. And here's the love story. A transcendent God saw a broken man so he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And Jesus left the glories of heaven to come down to this earth, to become a man, and to live with us. To demonstrate God's love and compassion. And then he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins. 
And the measurement and the value, as Peter said, it's not measured in silver, gold, and precious stone, but he says it's measured with the precious blood of Jesus. You are valuable because the precious blood of Jesus died for you. And you are valuable. And even though I say that you are valuable, there might be someone here that said, uh, I don't feel very valuable today. I don't feel like uh, God loves me or people love me because maybe you've been beat up this week or maybe uh, you've had a series of failures in your life. Said, so, you know, I just don't feel like, how could anybody love me? How could I be valuable to anyone? Let me tell you the truth, what the Bible says. It says that God loves you. And he loves you so, so much that you're made in God's image and you are special. Every one of you are special. So special that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins because he loves you so much. He loves every one of us. That's the love story that God loves us, that people don't hear out there in the world. And if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you never put your faith and trust in him, understand this, God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. But because of our sin, and I've sinned, we've all sinned, that separates us from a holy, just, righteous God, right? And there's no way you and I can approach him. So that's why God sent Jesus from heaven into this earth. Jesus became a man, and then he went to the cross, and God placed all of your sins, my sins, past, present, and future upon Jesus. And Jesus paid the complete price for your sins. So now you and I can approach God and come, but we gotta come to God his way. And his way is through Jesus, the way that he's provided, right? We have to come and realize that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ died in the cross for my sins. We put our faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. If you've never done that, please do that today. The Bible said it's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved. Come today by God's grace and accept Jesus, that he died in the cross for your sins. If you have questions about that, please come and see me. Get your questions answered. But that's the love story for all of us. Let's reflect his glory. Let's reflect his nature. This isn't living on a horizontal, just living on a horizontal level and just living our lives and doing our own thing. It's living our lives in such a way and interacting with people in such a way that they don't see our characteristics, but they see his characteristics. And they look back and they all, and they marvel at you and say, they see God's nature in and through your life. They see God's character. That's how we're supposed to live, to be God's salim, to be his representative that people are seeing God's nature in us, his character being lived in, out and through us. That's what God wants. Secondly, and sometimes for Christians to hear this, they don't like this. Let's be steward, good stewards of the planet that God intended us to be. We all have a responsibility. I'm not saying to one extreme, not the extreme neglect. Let's not neglect it. Let's not go to the other extreme and it's all about the, the, the environment. It's not. It's all about God. And God has put you and I here as Salim. Let's have a balanced approach. Let's all do our part. That's what we're called to do. If every person does their part, we'd be a lot better. But let's do our part. But let's not put our heads in the sand. But let's not go overboard either. But let's be a balanced approach. Amen? Thirdly, let's love people and care for people that are made in the image of God. And who is that? Everybody is made in the image of God. Every person you come in contact with is made in the image of God. That's the difference between us and all of God's creation that we are the only ones that are made in the image of God, human beings, and let's love them. Let's do everything we can to share the gospel message with others. Let's do everything that we can. As a church, we have to embrace that. As individuals who, who've been created in the image of God, we have to embrace that. Because people out there in the world, whether you realize it or not, they're living their lives trying to find worth and value by their jobs, through other people, 
and all kinds of things, money, belongings, things, and they're getting beat up and they're having disappointments and they need to realize, no, your purpose and your value was never supposed to come through that and your worth isn't supposed to come through the things that you do. Your worth and your purpose and your value comes from one person alone, it's God, that you're made in the image of God. And that's why you have worth. That's why you have value, not through what you do, because you were made in his image. Amen? They need to hear that. That will change their lives to understand that they were made in the image of God. That's where we find value. That's where we find worth. That's why our lives are so important, because we're made in his image. That's why we have value and worth, and that's the only reason, because we're made in his image, different from all other creation. And they need to hear that. But they also don't need to only hear that. They need to hear that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. So be diligent in sharing the good news with others who are made in the image of God. And that's all people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. God, you are a wonderful, amazing God. When we think about this life, Lord, you created us in your image. Different from all creation. We are, when we look at Scripture, we don't maybe like to elevate it, but we're the pinnacle of your creation. Because no other no other creature did you create that was made in your image. But you made us in your image. So we can understand you. We can know what it is that, that you created and look at your creation and realize there's, there's got to be a God. And we can understand your special uh, revelation that Jesus, through Jesus, that Jesus came to this earth as the God-man and died on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, we're, we so thank you that, Lord, this was all done by you. That we are special, every one of us doesn't matter the challenges we're born into this world. We're all special to you, made in your image, every one of us. doesn't matter our background. doesn't matter our geography. doesn't matter our culture. doesn't matter who our parents are. We're all born in the image of God, created in your image. And every human being is special. Lord, let that sink into our own hearts and minds, what that means for our own life as individual, personally. That, God, you love us beyond our wildest dreams. You love us beyond anything we can imagine. You love us beyond, beyond our minds can comprehend. Your love is so great and immense and, and deep and wide that you just love us. And we're special to you. We're special to you. And you care for us so, so much, more than anything else you created in the world, more than any star, the sun, the earth, anything else. You created us with a plan and a purpose in mind that one day that we would spend in, in, with you eternity. That was the purpose that we would glorify you with our lives. We'd have this personal relationship with you. And so, Lord, help us, every one of us, to realize that, that you love us. And, Lord, that uh, after we realize that about ourselves and we're in awe of you, how wonderful and great you are, because you are, help us to realize that there's many people that we know have no idea, know, know that about you. And if they could understand and somehow comprehend that about you, that might change their lives that you're kind, that kind of God. You're not a God who's ready to judge them, not a God who's ready to condemn them, but you're a God who sent your son to forgive them, to draw them closer to you because you love them, because they're made in your image. And you want to have a relationship with them. And so, God, I pray that uh, through us, that as your representatives here on this earth, as your salim here on this earth, that, Lord, with your authority, we would be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ realize what we take for granted every day, that we're made in your image, and that we know Jesus Christ is your Savior. There's people all around us in this world, thousands and millions and probably billions that do not know you. 
I need to understand those truths, that they're made in your image. They have tremendous worth, tremendous value, an infinite amount of worth, an infinite amount of value. And they, they, God loves them so much that he sent his own son to die. They were measured through the precious blood of Jesus that God was willing to sacrifice his son. That's how special we are. God, when we comprehend that, and if others, when they truly comprehend that, Lord, we cannot turn our backs on you because we see how wonderful and amazing you are. Use us, Lord, as your salim here on this earth, as your representative. Let us not take that for granted. Let us take that seriously. We're to be your representative. Represent your character. Represent your authority here on this earth and the way we live, how we live. And Lord, there would be an awe in you of your creation every day. Lord, we praise you and thank you, Lord. Take these broken vessels that we have, that we live in these bodies, and use us for your glory. And Lord, I ask this for each person. I ask for anybody who's struggling today to help them to realize they have a God that only created everything in the universe with the power of his words out of nothing. But that same God who created all that cares for them. And he has the power to help them wherever they are today in their life. They would yield that situation to God, allow him to help them. Lord, we love you and praise you. And Lord, we ask these things in that most precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.